if, if you've been journeying with us this, uh, this season through the book of Corinthians, we've seen remarkable things coming from Paul on this journey. As he talks to the Corinthian church, as he, as he pleads with them, as he pours out his heart to them, saying, this is how we should be, and this is how we should live, and this is how we should treat each other, uh, it's, been a great, it's been a great journey for us. Uh, it's helpful uh, every once in a while to stop and, and just review uh, and talk about the, the journey of the letter. This is a letter written to a church in Corinth. That's where the name Corinthians come from. The people from Corinth are, are Corinthians. Paul is the author of this letter, or, or at least attributed as the author of this letter, uh, who was a Jew who was a Christ follower, had a, had a dramatic conversion experience. If you remember the story of Saul becoming Paul, walking down the road uh, to Damascus, bright light shines, he loses his, his vision, um, and a voice is heard, why are, you, why are you persecuting me, Saul? What are you doing? Um, Paul, Saul had been on a journey to go, uh, and... and and to rough up a few people who thought that they had figured out that following Jesus was something special and something they wanted to give their lives to. And God met him on the road and changed his life. Um, Corinth was located in, in what now is modern-day Greece on this small little strip of land that opened up into a wider peninsula in the southern part of what we know as Greece today. Um, so there, were a lot, there was a lot of traffic through this area. There was a culture city. There was people and goods coming through this area um, and a lot of diversity. Um, we also know that there was previous letters, letters that we don't have um, most most biblical scholars think First and Second Corinthians are in the right order, but there's there's zero Corinthians, right? There's a, there's another letter that happened, and there had been correspondence that that had been had that, that had been happening between Paul and this church in Corinth. Um, but Paul is writing to answer a few questions in this dialogue and in this back and forth. There were some things that had cropped up that Paul was concerned about, and, and Paul was trying to address. Um, one of the major things is disunity, that this church was coming apart at the seams. And we see it early on, chapters 1 through 4, Paul talks about these, these factions, these divisions that exist within the church. Um, and prays, it talks about the wisdom of God that, that brings us back together and unites us and, and is able to to keep the, the connections close. Uh, chapters 5 and 6, he talks about the church's reactions to, to some things that are going on that aren't real pretty, that aren't really easy to talk about. And we, we navigated through that. And in chapters 7 through 10, it kind of turns the corner uh, a little bit and starts exploring our rights. Well, I should be able to do this. I should be able to do that. Um, and Paul's message is that we sacrifice our rights. We lay down our rights for the benefit of the church, for the benefit of one another. Um, last week culminating in this chasing of rights that often leads us toward false false gods. And so that's kind of been this narrative that Paul is, is taking us on through this letter. Uh, we, we turn today to chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, Paul, Paul, after, after this uh, exploration of, of the rights of the members of the church of Corinth, um, he begins talking a little bit about, about church dynamics. What, what is it like when they get together? What is it like? What should it be like when they get to, together? How should they treat one another? 
And so today we're going to read from chapter 11. Um, We're going to be starting at verse 17 and reading through uh, the end, verse 34. So out of reverence for the reading of God's word, if you're able, would you please stand? A reading from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now I don't praise you as I give the following instruction, because when you meet together, it does more harm than good. First of all, when you meet together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I partly believe it. It's necessary that there are groups among you to make it clear who is genuine. So when you get together in one place, it isn't to eat the Lord's meal. Each of you goes ahead and eats a private meal. One person goes hungry while another is drunk. Don't you have houses to eat and drink in, or or do you look down on God's churches and humiliate those who have nothing? What can I say to you? Will I praise you? No, I don't praise you in this. I received a tradition from the Lord, which I also handed on to you. On the night on which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. After giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this to remember me. He did the same thing with the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup is the the new covenant in my blood. Every time you drink it, do this to remember me. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you broadcast the death of the Lord until he comes. This is why those who eat the bread or drink the cup of the Lord inappropriately will be guilty of the Lord's body and blood. Each individual should test himself or herself and eat from the bread and drink from the cup in that way. Those who eat and drink without correctly understanding the body are eating and drinking their own judgment. Because of this, many of you who are weak and sick and quite a few have died. But if we had judged ourselves, we wouldn't be judged. However, we are disciplined by the Lord when we are judged so that we won't be judged and condemned along with the whole world. For these reasons, my brothers and sisters, when you get together to eat, wait for each other. If some of you are hungry, they should eat at home so that getting together doesn't lead to judgment. I will give directions about the other things when I come. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. Please be seated. In this, uh, in this passage of Scripture, Paul has really transitioned back to kind of a, a corrective tone. Um, there, there's been some moments in, the, in this book, as you've read along, as we've gone through, where Paul has really had to kind of take up this parental role of correction. And then he breaks back into it here in, in verse 11. He has this barrage of questions, right? Um, verse, verse 22 it, Obviously, it's a letter, so he can't wait for answers. But he's just kind of barraging with barraging them with with questions. Do you don't you have houses to eat and drink in, or do you look down on God's churches and humiliate those who have nothing? What can I say to you? Will I praise you? That's signal. That that's code for Paul. To I'm I'm really kind of irritated right now. <laughs> I I don't know. Many of you are parents, um, and sometimes I. I do that. I get into question asking mode because I'm irritated with my kids. I never even let them have a chance to respond. Uh, maybe you're guilty of this at times. Um, don't ask my kids. I never, I never do that. Um, <laughs> but Paul is just writing what's on his heart. 
Paul didn't set out to write the book of the Bible. When, when Paul sat down to write this letter, he was not saying, oh, I'm going to, to read or write a book of the Bible today. Um, he's, he's talking to his church. He's talking to this church that, that needs correction and isn't treating each other well. In the last chapter, he talked about the cup and he talked about the bread. He talked about the Lord's meal. And I think that really transitioned his attention. He, he had used it as an example in the previous chapter. And he says, let's talk about the meal. Let's talk about the community meal. And triggered this, this corrective tone that we find in chapter 11. Um, did, did any of you have or do any of you have the, the grandmother or the grandfather that liked to overfeed your entire family when they came up? Some of you may be that person. Um, I'm not going to point any fingers anywhere. Um, but, but for me and for my family, it was my mom's mom. It was Grandma Fonda. Um, we had traveled up to their house often for many, many occasions, many holidays up in Bellevue, Washington, and she'd spend all day in the kitchen, right? And it just seemed effortless, but she was, she was just there cooking uh, and, and baking away, and, and the table was set that evening, and you could smell it in the house, and, and the meat was cooking, and the potatoes were cooking, you had vegetables, all sorts of different things, and she had this gigantic table. I was, I was younger. It seemed a lot bigger now. Uh, it probably looks like our table, right? But it was just this table covered with giant portions of food, um, and the table was set, and people were called, and it was, it was like, it's game time. Right? It's game time when Grandma Fonda uh, cooked the meal. I grew up with two sisters, and so, you know, the lion's share of the consuming to be done fell to, to, to the teenage boy. Um, uh, in those years, uh, they kind of got the free pass, and I was looked at to, to help finish off some of the dishes. Um, but that's the image we get for this meal. And, and as we understand the New Testament church, as we understand the church that was set up in the city of Corinth, we need to understand their worship. We know from multiple New Testament sources that, that many of the early gatherings of the church that we read about and the, the churches that were set up in those days happened in homes, happened in the home of this person or that person. And as you read letters, you'll, you'll hear names of people mentioned of the group or the church that was meeting in their homes. And often it was accompanied by a meal uh, within the context of a, of a shared meal, which really helps us understand communion as a, as a portion, as a portion of, of worship. Um, as they meet, but it was it was this larger meal. It wasn't just the bread and, and the cup, but it was shared in the context of a larger meal. And this passage talks about, um, it certainly talks about communion and Eucharist, but it also talks about the common and the shared meal. And, and as, as I read, you probably you recognize the communion liturgy in there, and this is one that pastors often use. On the night he was betrayed, uh, Jesus took the cup, he broke bread, shared it with them. He offered thanks for the bread. And that liturgy, that, that even, even as I read it this morning, took, takes me back to this place of, of when we do offer communion, when we do share that in this place, it's, it's meaningful. 
It's fantastic. And we join 2,000 years of history of people who followed Christ who share in this meal. And the sharing of the meal for Paul was not the problem. He wasn't saying, well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't eat together. You shouldn't, you shouldn't conduct worship in this way. That was not the problem. The problem was the treatment of the down and out, the treatment of the marginalized. Um, and today, uh, I, I read one commentator that said this. In our world today, we, we read and think this, this passage, and it doesn't strike us as, as too odd. What's the big deal? But, but comes across as a big gut punch for the, for the Roman culture to which he wrote this letter. They're, for they were used to, to the hierarchy. They were used to the, the seat of honor at the table. They were used to the, the class and the caste that you come from makes a huge difference in how you were treated. For in the church of Corinth, we had the haves and we had the have-nots. And this culture was used to those two, pe- those two groups of people, and, and that's an oversimplification, for there were lots of groups of people. But those groups of people being treated differently. Seats of honor and this hierarchy were common, even in the, even in the Jewish culture as well. Um, if, you, if you remember, Jesus talked to, about a parable about seats of honor. It's found in Luke 14, and I'd encourage you sometime this week maybe to, maybe to look that up. Jot a note down to, to look up Luke 14. Jesus talks about giving up the seat of honor, taking the seat of the lowest. Uh, and in an in interesting parable says the reason for that is so that you won't be disgraced when you're asked to move to a lower seat. Instead, the host will invite you to a higher seat. In the Last Supper, what does he do? He takes off his outer garments, takes the job of the lowest and least servant in the house, and washes the disciples' feet. Which sounds kind of weird to us in America in the 21st century, but was offensive to them. I I think they were just kind of shocked and looking at each other like, what do we do? And one of the disciples says, I'm (laughs) going to do something. Who was it? It was Peter. You're not going to wash my feet, Jesus. No way. Peter says, or Jesus tells Peter, I must wash your feet so you can be clean. <laughs> Peter being Peter, well, wash all of me then. Get me completely clean. Jesus is like, no, I only need to wash your feet. Paul's contention isn't with the meal. It's not in the 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 perpetuation of the of the eucharistic meal not saying you're you're doing that wrong what he really gets angry with is the disparity of treatment for the people who gather as the people of god in the setting of worship that's what gets paul angry that's what that's what he needed to correct that's what he said we need to make some changes to how it is when we get together And to drive the point home, he talks about communion, about this sacrifice that Christ made for all of God's children. We're all welcome at the table of grace. And when we come together, we have to acknowledge that. And we have to hear that. That has to to land on us today. We are all welcome at Christ's table of grace. 
And there, when we arrive, we're treated as equals. Brothers and sisters of Christ. When we, oh, when we enter those doors that applies to us today, when we come to Mountain Home Nazarene Church, when we, when we enter a church who follows Jesus Christ in this community, in any community, Paul says we enter as equals and we're welcome at the table of grace. Christ's body is different. When we gather to worship God, when we, when we set, a time on, uh, set aside a time on the Sabbath day to worship Christ, life is different when we get together because Christ is present. You'll notice that Paul doesn't get into the disparity of circumstances. He doesn't argue that there are some that have and some that don't have as much. He doesn't say, give up everything you have. That, that was, that's in Acts chapter 2. You remember that? Sell your possessions and goods. Give to those who are in need. Paul doesn't break into, into that narrative. He's not saying that there, there, there won't be some different circumstances among the people who gather. And, and I, I offer to you today that, that that's a sign of health. That diversity is a sign of health. That, that people, when they gather, when they come to this place, ought to come from different places, different stations in life, different ages. He isn't concerned that there are the haves and the have-nots. He says, to those, this is really a, an instruction, a correction for the haves. He says, if, if you're hungry, eat at home. Eat at home. Take care of that. Take care of that before you come. Because when you come and gather, and when, when culture says you have the seat of honor, and you get to eat first, and you, you have as much as you want, and there are people at the end of the table who are left out. We're no longer being the church. We've missed the mark. We haven't understood what worship community is about. We're not being the church in that moment. When you come here, all are welcome. All are treated with honor. All are equals. Reminds me of, of King Arthur's round table, right? Uh, we, don't have a, we don't have a round table to set up in here. It might help us distance a little bit, maybe, from each other. Maybe not your neighbor. But, but picture that. That is the worldwide church today, that we come to the table of grace and find that the table is circular, that there is no head of the table, that there is no position of honor for all are welcome. As we journey through this passage, verses 27 through 29 hold some pretty stark warnings for people who partake of the Lord's meal, who partake of communion in, in what some have called an unworthy manner, right? And I, and I think, I, I, as I remember, as, I, as I've heard that said, as I've heard that taught, as I've, I've heard that reminder, um, it's, it's most often used in the context of, of serving communion and serving Eucharist. And, and, and it's a matter of introspection. Make sure your heart's right before you share this meal. For you don't want to take, you don't want to partake of this meal in an unworthy manner. Make sure you're right with God. And certainly that's valid. Certainly that, that 
that assessment of yourself and that introspection is an important thing when you gather and when you partake of communion. And it's helpful. But as you look at this passage in context, it certainly has more to do with how we treat one another. When you look at this passage in context of the letter and what Paul is saying, when he says, make sure that you don't partake of this meal in an unworthy manner, he's saying, make sure you're being the church. Make sure you're caring for every person that walks through that door. Make sure that the way you think and the way you treat people that that worship in other places the same Christ as you, that matters. Even if they don't agree with everything you believe. Even on Facebook. Even on Twitter, when you only have 140 characters, it matters how we treat each other. Amen? Paul is so concerned about proper ecclesiology, how the church works, how the church functions, how we live together, that he says it's so important that you might have to interrupt your own personal worship. What you do personally could be affected. You might need to step back. You might need to pause and make things right. That's how important it is. It's so important the culture here in the church looks different, that we are one, that we are one body of Christ together. That's been our theme from the beginning of the year. That's been our focus. That's what we've spent time considering. And what a year to do so. What a year to be our theme for the year's Becoming one, and then we can't even gather. (laughs) And then when we get together, we have to wear masks, so we can't even see each other smile. (laughs) Saw that back there. Somebody lowered their mask and gave me a big smile. (laughs) That's why we're in 1 Corinthians, to help us understand what it means to become one, what it means to gather as the one body of Christ, that we are one people. The problem in Corinthians, with the Corinthian church, was this. The culture of the world and the culture of the gathering looked exactly the same. The problem in Corinth that he's addressing today is that the the culture of the world and the culture of the worship gathering looked exactly the same. There were the haves that were treated with honor and given the special place and ate all the food and the have-nots that were left out. Oh, well. Life is normal. And Paul said, we're not going to stand for it. That's not who we are. That's not how we do church. That's not who we're called to be in this place. Here, all are welcome. The downtrodden are equals. The privileged lay that privilege down sacrificially out of love. Not because they're told to. Not because they have to feel guilty. Out of love. Because the table 
is open and all are welcome. And that's our transformation opportunity this week that Paul offers to us. How now do I participate in this revolutionary idea that something's different when we walk through those doors? We can all think about that. How now do I participate in a new kind of culture when we walk through those doors? How do I participate? But also, how do I create that culture? How am am I a participant in the creation of a different place? there's, There's a second response today that I need to address and I need to say out loud. And my second, my second encouragement today is to remind you of this. You are welcome at the table. You are welcome at God's table of grace. Whenever we gather in a gathering of this size, in gathering sizes smaller than this, sitting here today, maybe watching online as we post these for our church family later, you're welcome. You're worth it. You're worth it to sit at God's table of grace. There's a lot of people in our world today who struggle to believe that. Whether it's struggling with anxiety or mental health or or other other things that, that speak voices in their mind that, that sometimes get louder than God's voice. Maybe you're battling sin in your life. You say, Pastor, I've tried. I'm frustrated. I know I'm not doing the right thing. You're welcome at God's table of grace today. And He invites you to sit with Him. He invites you to receive that. And you're worth it. And we as community and we as the church, if we're doing our job, create a culture where we say, you're welcome in this place. People who struggle to believe that kind of look around the room and think, man, this place has got, they've got their stuff together. I think I might be the only one who struggles like this. You're not. You're not the only one. May we be open. May we be vulnerable enough. May we be welcoming enough to pierce through that belief and say, welcome. We're so glad you're here and we're so glad that you've come to this place to worship with us. A place that's different. I'm going to invite the praise team to come up as we close today. And I just want to invite you to this, to, to participation in this new kind of culture, in this place where, where we get to be different because we follow Christ. We're not different because we think it's a good idea. We're not different because we, 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 want, we want to be something special. We're different because Christ calls us to that. 
And we thank Paul today for reminding of us and challenging us to say, all are welcome. Those that struggle, those that maybe struggle a little less, but we all get to participate in the creation of that environment as well. Maybe you're challenged today. What, what can I do? How can I step into that? Would you pray about that this week? Would you ask God for clear direction? How can I help make this place a place where all are welcome at God's table of grace? And maybe today, you're one who struggles to receive that grace. Life hasn't been how you've expected. It's been tough these last months, years maybe. Christ says you're welcome here. My table has a seat for you. The same as all who genuinely and truly seek to follow after me. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing. God, thank you. Thank you for your love and thank you for how you call us into new truth and new reality. Thank you that that you say, my house will be different. My people will be different. Forgive us, God, when culture inside your gatherings looks a little bit too much exactly like the culture of the world. And forgive us for those times and moments that we forget that there are those that are really, truly struggling to believe the table of grace is really meant for them. I pray today that you would cut through that, that they would hear that all are welcome at your table of grace, that they would hear that this is a place meant for them. Help us to respond. Help us to respond with transformed lives. Help us reach out for help. Help us be creative about how we can make this place a place of grace for all. We love you. We worship you today. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand this morning to receive our benediction? I invite you as you're able, extend your hands, receive the benediction today. Come to the table for all are welcome and may we participate in a community of faith that always makes space for the neighbor who has not yet arrived amen go in the love of Christ Mm -hmm.